Transit Voices with Ben Whitaker. Welcome to Transit Voices. This month, for something different, we're speaking to Satinda Bala, who is one of the founders at Transite, a transit services company and IT integrator that works with all sorts of different transit agencies, joining together their data, making the interaction between different vendors' systems all work out for the agency. But one of the interesting and different things about Transite is it is an MBE, DBE, SBE. In the United States, they have put in legislation to ensure that minorities, disadvantaged groups and smaller businesses also have good access to government contracts. This has even turned into requirements on some procurements that a percentage of the money and a percentage of the activities must be done by minority or disadvantaged businesses to ensure that they're creating culture and expectation and peer examples in those communities of doing government service work. I, for one, think this is fantastic and is creating new generations in the industry. It's also breaking down systemic barriers that entrench existing vendors. Let's have a further conversation with Satinda about their journey, their services, and his views on APIs and product versus custom. Without further ado, let's speak to Satinda. Now, let's get talking. So welcome to Transit Voices. Satinda Bala, thank you so much for coming on today. So many things you have done, but also creating and, and expanding and, and, and landing in the industry. Uh, Transite, a DBE, a small entity that now has started to take on some really big high profile contracts and deliveries after your career, which has gone through all sorts of different suppliers in the industry, including some of the really big names before launching into your own business. I would really love to hear more about your journey of how you got into transit as a space to start with, which a lot of our guests have different routes into, but also what then was your journey into starting a business, creating and growing a, a business as well? Thank you so much, Ben, for inviting me for this session. As you said, you know, it has been an interesting and I would say a, a fairly exciting journey overall. We all bring different perspective to the industry. We bring all different experience. And I think so that's the reason why I guess we all are really trying to innovate. I mean, honestly, having that overall perspective of the whole market along with what's moving, what's not moving helps us to do it. I guess I had a similar experience in the past. Being in the government space or doing projects for the government, uh, I've been doing it for 20 plus years. And I think that's a really a critical thing is, you know, I think as we know that working or doing B2B business versus B2G business is always uh, different. And uh, 20 plus years in it, you know, started working on professional services or it used to be called rent a tech, worked with different clients from USGS to different counties and different city projects. I got introduced into transit specifically, probably I would say in 2002, 2003 timeframe. And since then, I've been a transit space throughout. And so it is, it is, you know, almost like 20 years just in transit itself. And it's, it, it has been an exciting journey with Trying to really look into is, you know, what are the problems that one agency or multiple agencies are having? And the interesting thing in the, in the market is that if you look at Federal Highway, 
they have different set of goals and objectives and different things they are trying to cover. Then you get into the DOTs world. They are doing do different things. And then really comes into MPOs and transit operators. So over the journey, I guess, you know, worked with companies like ESRI doing professional services, a GIS company, done several projects with them, then took over as the ITS West Coast lead for SAIC and Lidos. So worked with them for a few years and then also worked for Cubic Transportation for a few years on programs like Ventra and Clipper and Opal program. In all that corporate experience, I mean, one thing was very clear is that it's a super fragmented industry, which it's actually an opportunity for a small company. I mean, the, the fragmented industry really helped us to say, hey, you know, it's a fragmented industry. There is a role of big corporates as well as small companies. And that was a big trigger point of realization that, hey, if I have to start Transite, there is a possibility to get some room in the market, part of it. And the philosophy of Transite was really twofold. First of all, always felt like the customer experience in whatever we are publishing or sharing with our riders has been a big challenge. Uh, felt like there has been always a friction between the riders and what is being offered, which makes it totally inconvenience. So that was indeed the one key element for us to solve as part of Transite. And the second thing was how agencies are really operating and making decisions and how can we really support them for data-driven decision. I mean, that has been the two main things that we are really trying to solve for industry. So it has been nine years in the making. And we have been really approaching those two main areas under the professional services or solutions. Well, it's interesting that you talked about products in this area, because a lot of the businesses that you'd previously been working with even though the marketing would suggest products, the reality under the hood is a lot of customized solutions. And deploying lots of customized solutions takes a, a very large headcount for the initial projects and for the service and support and maintenance afterwards. Transite, would you say, as a, a smaller player in the space, is there more of a focus on products in the space or is it still services and customizing? I should not even say customized solution. It's more of a custom application delivery, more precisely. The custom application delivery is a space that I think it will be always be there because there are a lot of different needs that our MPOs or transit operator has. There is no solution at all or there can't be a solution because there is a very unique needs and unique work processes that they have prepared over the years that cannot be done. So, so I would say our split at a broad level, we are in that consulting services plus operation services and solution. And uh, slowly, slowly, we are becoming more towards solutions, but we always recognize that professional service and operational service will be throughout our journey. It's not going anywhere. It's something that will be always part of Transite. But I would say solution space is indeed much more scalable, much more area that one, one can grow. Only if the agencies start to look to procure something more like a solution. Because uh, I think the habits in the industry of, if you like, the friction and the cost of a procurement process 
makes people feel that they've got to fill everything in their Christmas list in if Christmas only comes once every 10 years. And Mm -hmm. the tendency to fill out all possible requirements for the next five to 10 years means it's very hard to get a solution, productized Mm -hmm. solution, and it's almost always results in something customized. I mean, how how big is the team at Transite at the moment in terms of your deliveries? We are around 35 people with different skill sets that we have from the PMs to business analysts to the full engineering team doing the front end, the back end, plus also the uh, data science team as well so we have 35 people it's that's growing uh, as we as we speak i think one thing you really touched on ben is product versus solution and again learnings from the industry we were very cognizant in saying that hey we are not giving products because as we have been all in the traditional product market, I mean, product is something that you can literally give to any client and then let them use it. While the solution in our perspective is a really a customized deployment for the client. And that is an area where I would say is we pick the word solution as opposed to product because solution is what I personally believe is industry still willing to accept. It still requires customization. I mean, I would say is we would be thrilled if we can at least have 60 to 75% feature set deployed, which is already part of the solution and 20 to 40% customization. I think we'll be very happy if that's the mix. I wish the mix is not other way around, but I would yeah. say solution is the is the way we are going. So your target is towards 50-60% reusable solution, was that right? That's right. It's interesting you you uh, you position it that way. I mean, Masabi and Just Right is, mm-hmm. you know, 95% one product. Yes. Uh, albeit with lots of yes. configuration that can be turned on and off during sure. the deployment phase, but really trying to reduce the amount of custom code to zero Mm -hmm. for most deployments. And that doesn't come easily from letting the industry say exactly what they want and then trying Mm -hmm. to fit a pre-built product into it. I think it's it's trying to wake up the industry to just how much it costs for each of these customized solutions to be done and get them to change how they ask for it so that they bring up the percentage from 50 or 60% reuse of a product mm-hmm. to more like 90 or even 100, especially for small to mid-sized agencies, because the world of government IT mm-hmm. and government services provision is is one that has fallen into a very, in my view, a very uh, bespoke trap over the years, more so than the the private sector now, which which tends to use yes. products more than customized. And it just yeah. seems this, the, the world of RFP seems to have caused a longer term uh, reliance on customizing than we've we've seen in the in the private sector who measure the value of the money spent on projects a lot more i mean some of the projects you're mm-hmm. serving in the the world of uh, data exchange and data aggregating and reporting granted there's always what systems are you ingesting data from That's but right. once you've ingested the data the central system in many cases is more productized, isn't it? That's absolutely right. So so I would say, you know, are there certain transit and transportation verticals have now standard specifications? Answer is, I think it's getting there, right? Even I guess, you know, fare collection and the CAD AVL system, APC system 
have been there for ages. But if you look at RFP for the same business vertical and pick five RFPs throughout the nation, you will find there is a difference between those specifications, right, overall. The challenge is, and again, it's something which I guess as as a vendor and a consultant, we are for sure educating our partner agencies, hey, you know, let's standardize, not try to reinvent anything. But that does require, of course, the policy changes and the and the workflow changes internally, which is never easy part of it. So I would say that's always a always a kind of a challenge of that, you know, I think the whole customization is something which I personally don't believe is going anywhere. The only hope is certain applications or deployments there is at least more standard specifications getting used that's indeed our hope on it and we are seeing some trend in the right direction going to your second point is you're absolutely right so we work with probably i would say 35 to 40 different third-party systems they're in the category of fair collection or or cardbl systems or apc systems or or fair box systems. We do work with 30 plus of those systems. And now as we are creating those integration points with those subsystems, if a new client comes up and have the same systems, then it is truly a product, right? If you think about it. But I would say is our industry has so many small, mid and large vendors in each of these category that I would say it will take at least us few years before we can say now we do have every vendor covered and that will become much more easier. And you're right, it has become easier than the first time we deployed a data analytics platform probably four years back. In four years, it has become easier. Yeah. But nevertheless, every, every transit operator we are touching there are at least additional vendors that it's the same purpose of the data, which is thank God, right? It's the same purpose of data, but nevertheless, the whole data structure and the logic they do and how they do it is different. I also find that even in certain areas like CAD AVL, where uh-huh. what it's doing is very consistent. And yes, there is some fragmentation, but there are a right. number of fairly large players, especially if we just look at the yes. North American market. What really chews us up sometimes is you think, for example, you've done an integration with Nextbus and you say, yeah, I've got a product. I've already uh, integrated with Nextbus. And then you come to another customer who says, yeah, I've got Nextbus. And then you find it's a different model year. This is the next bus from a different year of deployment. It's got a different data format. It's got a different API and it's got a a different data standard under the hood. And so Mm -hmm. you end up with very specific integrations, five of them into a single other vendor of a subsystem because those APIs are not kept consistent. There was never a requirement to do so between different iterations of a solution. And in one of the other Transit Voices conversations we had with, I think it was Rochester RTS, their chief technical officer chose as their underdog APIs, uh-huh. okay. saying that normally APIs are left till the end and they're a little add-on. Mm-hmm. And you think about it sometimes when you have an integration. And he was saying they almost need to be first-class citizens and one of the main things you're delivering when you mm-hmm. recognize that each of these solutions that are coming in don't exist in a silo anymore. 
and they have to be integrated by transite. They have to be integrated yep. to fare collection, to passenger counting, to CAD AVL, to payments, to whatever, or to maintenance, to security, to whatever mm-hmm. it is. And they, they can't just sit there and say, oh, yeah, at the end of the project, I'll give you some APIs and a bit of documentation and throw it away. And you're like, if you deliver no. that to something that you make up at the end or that you have made up just to suit yourselves and have never been in- integrated with anything else, you've no idea if that API is fit for purpose. You've mm-hmm. no idea what the, the lift is for somebody to be able to figure out. Is it restful? Is it is it crazy? Mm-hmm. When does it get updated? Are you going to put a security patch in to break it or some sort of functionality change, which is going to mean that other partners who have written code or configured their systems to work with it are going to fall apart? And it's changing how the industry views integration into something that you don't you don't wave away and assume somebody else does. You almost have to say, compared to 20 years ago, almost yeah. every subcomponent now has to integrate to something else. And exactly as they said at RTS, the API has to be not an underdog, it has line. to be something right at the right at the first line. And we think about if you're going to have good hygiene in mm-hmm. your architecture, <clears throat> you're going to have a team who are procuring and thinking about, am I getting a robust set of APIs? Is this set of APIs going to be well supported both by the vendor and by the rest of the ecosystem? And this is where products do better and especially in, in my view products that are continuously updated where they keep everything with one version of that api and you don't end up with 12 versions of the api depending on how old your system is because that becomes pretty difficult to to integrate to well i think that that's right what rts said is really dot on is if you really look at the rfps from the past right even five years back there was not even a mention of API at all. It was completely silent on APIs. And our ecosystem, it actually requires integration between the systems. And it's not really an option, it's actually a requirement now. And what we have been guiding our different transit and MPO partners, every procurement they do, they have to ask for full set of API, the whole lifecycle API. As you know, it's not about just asking API. It's, it's defining what do you need in those APIs is equally important because I've seen RFPs where they will ask for API, but not substantiating what that really means. And they get one API with five functions and they can check off the box and say, no, 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 no. It needs to be a full cycle API part of it. So I would say API is indeed a critical thing, uh, aspect of it. On your other point, the one thing we have to be super careful is that at least the transit and transportation industry in, in, in North America does move slower comparatively, or we are behind than our European partners, right? Uh, that's a That's a given fact. I hope I'm not surprising everyone by saying that. It's just that there is no mechanism for us to jump five years. We can't we can't just like suddenly jump five years and say, now we have everything at par what it should be. I would disagree. I think it absolutely will be baby steps and very slow if we it do is. each step very, very piecemeal. There's an opportunity for the industry to leapfrog 
And for like some agencies in my world of fair collection, there's uh -huh. agencies that still have cash fare boxes doing most of their fares. And instead oh, of going via baby steps of adding a closed smart card scheme with my fare and then adding uh -huh. a mobile ticketing and then later doing and ABT, all, they can leap right. straight from cash all the way to contactless EMV and capping and totally virtualized, utterly miss out the smart card stage which agencies mm -hmm. in, in Europe are kind of looking at is like, now people have got used to it. It's difficult to fully take it out, even though it's expensive because we have to issue plastic and we have to have machines that change real dollars into local transit dollars and back again and all of the after sales. And I think there's a real opportunity that the North American industry could leap straight to the conclusion. I think they can do it more effectively if they do it without reinventing it every time. But yeah, that's, so that's, say, that's up to the yeah. industry to choose if it wants to, if it feels that it must exactly. step on every single stepping stone on the way, or if it wants to leap to the finish and not build an expectation from able-bodied adults that they must be spoon-fed custom ticket media. I, and I was going to say that I, I fully agree there's an opportunity for multiple agencies to take that leap. It's more of their readiness and their customer readiness to take that leap, right? I think as the technologist, we would recommend they take a leap. How come agencies still using tokens and cash as a predominant source of payment? Why they can't go directly to an open payment? Just an example. I think the opportunity is there I guess as technologists, I think we all have worked hard to give them the tools and technology. It's not a technology question, Ben, at all. I mean, technology, I think, even in North America is much ahead and adoption of those technologies is still slower. And that slowness is really something that we're really looking for our, our agency partners to say, hey, don't ask the question, can technology do it? Ask the question is, will your business and will your customer are willing to take on that technology? There's a chicken and egg issue here. From a payments technology point of view, the North America is quite a long way behind Europe. The move to yep. chip and pin, the move to chips in credit cards has occurred a lot slower. The move to having contactless payments enabled in cell phones and in payments cards has occurred much slower. And then their adoption outside of right. the coastal big cities has been incredibly slow. However, it was very slow in Europe. It was mm -hmm. very slow in London. The rollout of the technology, the technology was possible, but the general public weren't using it and merchants weren't training people That's for right. it. The thing that really shifted the dial was when London enabled it in their public transit. And so it wasn't mm -hmm. the TFL sat there and waited for the general public to oh, understand that. this thing. They turned it on and enabled it. And they were the critical usage point, which trained mm -hmm. everybody that they could tap their payments devices of whatever they were and then get the right price and trust it. Yep. And from that, it flowed out into merchants and normal retail and commerce. And public transit has a privilege of being able to set a whole bunch of expectations. And I think this five-year leap is possible to occur. Yep. And it should not be running a survey and saying, are the public ready yet? Transit can lead. Transit can take the subsidies and the sponsorships from Visa and MasterCard and other payments people and 
remind them that in Europe, it was public transit that led the behavior change. We heard at APTA how ridership increases are directly being attributed to the extra convenience of direct payment on vehicle without having to go via the intermediate step of going to a ticket machine or picking up a fare card or topping up a fare card Mm -hmm. and registering and all these other things or downloading an app, that the whole thing simply just works. And you were saying that the RFPs have to talk about APIs and full lifecycle a bit more. Is there a risk that there might be APIs specified that aren't really widely adopted yet? Is there some other thing that people should be procuring that isn't just saying, I'm going to pick the API and force everyone to use one when there are some emergent APIs? What is it about an API that should be procured to make it a first-class citizen? It does vary by system to system overall, Ben. It really comes to account-based system you really want that full lifecycle API so that you can leverage the back office to do multimodal payments, right? So when you say full lifecycle, you mean generating a token, topping one up, debiting it, crediting it, and killing it? Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, the one one direction that we, we have been encouraging our clients is that, goes back to your previous point, it's okay for agencies to publish their own API. I don't see a problem at all with that aspect of it, but we have to publish that marketplace for third parties to utilize equally as well, because we are in that space where we can't ask the person what their preferred app is. If a Google app is the preferred one, let it be, let that API and marketplace place allow them to utilize the functionality. Because as a matter of fact, there is a myth that we have to really contain the customer and rider. Idea should be is we are supposed to move the customer from point A to point B as convenient as possible. That's the motto. That's a goal. Which tool they use to move, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a channel. The channel can be anything. I mean, how does it really matter? For us, our measurement should be is, did we move them conveniently? Our measurement should not be is, our app and our website got 10 million hits. That's not the real measurement. The measurement should be totally how much did we move? I mean, Mm -hmm. that should be the real measurement. And and honestly, that's where API and full cycle API really come into place. It's not only built for internal and your own apps and and channels, it's built in for external parties to use as well, and let the user pick and choose. So this is uh, definitely a call away from walled gardens, away from closed ecosystems, and to say, let the customer choose to come through other channels that make sense to them, and don't let the marketing team set the success criteria according to how many names you've had signed up on your website. That's what I, we are doing it for our Transite Move platform as well. We have a white label app, which is okay. Agency can decide to use or not to use, but we do have the full marketplace with all the APIs that they can embed into an existing app. We don't want they to publish five different apps by function. A for real time departure, I'm going to do one app. For payment, I'm going to do a second app. As is, we have to stop that multiple app approach and have a unified experience for our customers. Does a unified experience have to be on the agency's app? 
I would say is not necessarily. It all depends upon what the unified experience really mean. I would still encourage agencies to own their customer and know their customer. Because a few moments earlier, you were saying you day, wanted it to be open to the channel that the customer chooses. So that's almost the opposite of yes. trying to own no. the customer. That's owning the customer is a closed language. No, I would say is it's what I really saying is they have to have APIs and the connections for external parties to consume. When I say knowing the customer and owning the customer, for example, in our mobility platform, the customer does exist in our private MSPs and that customer also exists in the sponsor agency system as well. We're not saying that we have to only have the customer in the agency system. What we're saying is that there is a business purpose for agencies to know the customer, to segment the customer, and just relying on third parties to only know that customer is a mistake that we have been making. But the idea that we are really promoting is that agencies should know the customer as well, as well as to what private MSPs have as well. So for example, in that case, when we have integrated with gigs and the hoppers of the world, we are creating accounts in behind the scene in those subsystems as well, but now the agency also knows that customer because, they, I mean, honestly, how can a transportation agency serve their riders without knowing who the riders are? And that is a, a kind of a mistake we did a few years back of letting the private companies own and control the customer and have no visibility of the sponsoring agency as well. So now we are trying to do is more of that approach where you have the full visibility and your partners have the full visibility as well. And that is a model which actually serves both the needs of the private companies and the public agencies as well. Getting on to procurement, you've been growing a, a team at, at Transide that are bidding for and winning work with uh, some major clients and going through the RFP and procurement process as a smaller entity. I'd be interested in your feedback of the journey from first concept and first procurements that you responded to and where the way the industry runs has been supporting your entry as a, a DBE and where it's quite a, a steep cliff for a small entity to bid through RFPs to win work. The RFP process is something as, as a company who only does work with the government clients or B2G fund, right? RFP is indeed a kind of a main element that we have to tackle. From the RFP perspective and agency perspective as a DB and SBE, I would say that there are multiple forms agencies have been truly supporting the small businesses and DBEs. They are having agent that agencies who have now started doing the evaluation criteria depending upon how much a small business is used. That is indeed a big, big important thing as a small company. There are RFPs that are set aside for 25% to a DB and SDBE. Those kind of requirements are really a big advantage that Transite is having as of today is look at the MARTA bid where we had a big DBE percentage. Look at several bids from MTC or LA Metro where they have a big evaluation points allocated if, if SBE is used. 
And that also set aside contracts for SBE where SBE have to prime it. So I would say there are several agencies in the nation who have taken that step to encourage small business and the DBE businesses. And I would say that has been a great help from Transite perspective, because now it's not that we can't go after contracts which are $5 million or $10 million, which was always kept for mid to large agencies or large vendors. Now we can actually go after and prime those contracts ourselves. Do you come across, as you're moving up into those larger contracts, things like financial bonds requirements in there that mean you need to capitalize and put money aside for these capital bonds? And and does that really put a uh, if you like a ceiling on what an SBE can bid for. There are, of course, big contracts, Ben, where the performance bonds are a required thing. And right now, I guess those are not for small business to prime, honestly. We can't prime it at all because there is no way we can get that performance bond at all, the financial bond uh, even procured. No one will even sell it for us, whatever the premium could be. So I would say so far, uh, or even those contracts where there's performance or a financial bond to the prime company, as Transite, we are able to get in as as the subcontractor and agencies have been actually waiving or not waiving or not even requiring the subcontractor to have that financial bond at all. It's a prime contractor responsibility. So that has been a big savior for a small company that we can, at least for those big contracts, we can get in as a subcontractor and not even requiring a financial bond. For small contracts, there are, of course, insurance requirements that does cost money. And those are the ones which can, at least we can, we are able to get it. It's a high premiums, but we are able to get them. But at least financial bond is something so far we have not seen for small contracts, agencies requiring us to sign. Now, certainly it's one of those things where as things switch from completely bespoke with a very large amount of capital absorbed in the early development process and delivery and debug into product, the need for a large financial bond to protect against poor delivery after all of that money has been absorbed. Yeah. If it's a product, we really don't see the use of financial bonds being valid anymore if there's no big capex up front. Jatinda, before uh, we wrap up, I'd love to get your picks for your underdog and boondoggle. So your boondoggle for the technology or idea that you think is wasting too much money or time in the industry. I would say the underdog, there are several agencies which are still not recognizing the power of data that they have. We probably have to do something because there is a big, big value to data converting to information. So I would say that's one thing. So that's your, your underdog second, is data that's not been processed and turned into useful information. So it's just sat there as dead data. Right. It's not been processed into useful, actionable information. Okay. What's the what's the boondoggle in this space? When people talk about chat GPT and AI part of it, answers, yeah, but you have not even converted your data into information. How can you be really thinking about AI and chat GPT where you have there's such a gap in between. So I would say there are things like super hyped in that context where everyone feels like they have to do something there. An answer is not yet. It has to be done, 
But going back is it's a stage approach. I mean, you don't even have people internally who can take you there. You just have to do those step approach. So I would say there are hyped elements in the market, which I wish we would just step back and at least convert our existing terabyte of data into information and use them for operational efficiencies. I think you're exactly right. I mean, one of the main things that's come out of ChatGPT is you should only ever ask it a question where you can check if the answer is correct, because it's so good at making answers sound plausible. And sometimes they are based on absolute fabrication. So if you haven't done the basic steps of understanding your data and then wanting to refine or get some alternate views on it, you shouldn't be letting ChatGPT anywhere near it. Well, specifically that product for many reasons, but AI in general, unless you you have a reasonable understanding of what it is you're hoping to get out of it first. Now, that's an excellent pick. And that too, you know, what is the real question you're trying to get an answer? And I think right now that question phrasing is so important for these systems to give you an answer that somehow your question being a slightly incorrect will give you a totally different response and no validation. Thank you so much for coming in today. And I look forward to seeing you at the next Aptor event. Uh, Thank you so much, Ben. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much to Satinder for coming and speaking to us this month. I'm in complete agreement with him on the boondoggle of ChatGPT and general AI being hyped to solve things that agencies haven't even started in the basic sense. You should never be asking a question of general AI that you cannot check the truth of. So you've got to get your hands around the data in the first place. I also agree that in their role as Transite, they're having to join together data from many different vendor systems. And because those vendor systems aren't on standardized APIs yet, that means there's a lot of custom code every time. Hopefully over the coming years, we're going to see the industry settling on a smaller number of standardized APIs rather than everything being proprietary. And that will yield savings overall. Do subscribe to Transit Voices so that you are not missing any future episodes. And I look forward to speaking to you all next month. You've listened to Transit Voices, the podcast by transit nerds for transit nerds. Don't forget to subscribe to Transit Voices to keep up with the latest editions on your favorite podcast platform.